Support for this episode comes from the University of San Francisco's SWIG program in Jewish Studies and Social Justice, better known as JSSJ. The JSSJ Graduate Level Certificate Program in JEDI, Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, is more than an educational program. It's a call to action to improve the future of every Jewish institution. Our classes meet the moment with supportive learning that helps navigate an evolving and challenging Jewish community landscape. Bring these invaluable skills, tools, and resources to your organization. Applications are accepted on a rolling basis. Apply by January 12th to get in on spring classes before they begin. Just head to usfca.edu jedi. This is Judaism Unbound, episode 404, Jewish Instagram. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dan Liebenson. And I'm Lex Rofberg. And today we're continuing our exploration of the Judaism that is occurring in this new land. Online, our exploration of digital Judaism with two guests, two old friends who are in this space with us, Rena Singer and Samantha Frank, who are the folks behind an Instagram account called Modern Ritual. We're excited to do a deep dive into the ins and outs of creating engaging Jewish content on Instagram and what that says more broadly about creating engaging Jewish content, period. But before we do that, Lex, I know you have some news about some exciting Jewish content from Judaism Unbound that's coming up soon. So Lex, can you give us a little bit more information about what is on tap coming up? Can I give some more information about what's on tap? Uh, Yes, it is my favorite thing in the world, or one of them at least to plug the amazing learning and unlearning that is happening in the Anyashiva. And that is, of course, what you're alluding to. We have five three-week opportunities to get a taste of some incredible wisdom from an amazing slate of teachers, one session per week, where you can get an injection of incredible Jewish wisdom, Jewish learning, Jewish experience from some awesome teachers. And I'm going to tell you what they are. For more information, head to judaismunbound.com classes, where you can register. But first... We have a course called Rude, Lewd, and Fabulous, 21st Century Jewish Feminist Comedy from Haddish to Glazer to Bloom. That's Tiffany Haddish, Alana Glazer, and Rachel Bloom, of course. That's going to be taught by Jonathan Branfman, a hugely popular teacher from Shavuot Live this past year, who we had had to recruit to do a mini course. We have Hanukkah as Elemental Magic, Igniting Ancient Mythologies for Modern Observances. That will be taught by Sarah Chandler. We have a course called Jewish Witches, Finding Them in History, Becoming One Today. Yes, learn how you can become a Jewish witch with Jericho Vincent. We have a course with Olivia Devora Tucker, who will be joining us in an episode of Judaism Unbound pretty soon, but it's called Developing a Demon, Ashmadai Through the Ages, Ashmadai being the name of a particularly interesting Jewish demon. And last but not least, we have The Gods Are Furious, Anger in Kabbalah with Nathaniel Berman. You may recognize a couple of those names. Jericho Vincent and Nathaniel Berman are returning teachers. So if you missed their class the first time around, now's your chance to learn from them. And Olivia Devora Tucker, Jonathan Bramfman, Sarah Chandler, they are amazing, amazing new teachers contributing to the Onyeshiva's work. So we hope that you will head to judaismunbound.com classes, learn about their courses too. Three-week mini courses, amazing, amazing options. Some of them in the afternoons U.S. time, some of them in the evenings U.S. time. Uh, if you're in the U.K., if you're elsewhere in Europe, you'll be able to Tune in for courses that are afternoon U.S. time, evening your time. All of this is at your fingertips. Just go and sign up. So that's right. You should absolutely head over to judaismunbound.com classes to sign up for all of these wonderful experiences. Don't wait. Do it now before you forget. So my recommendation is press pause right now on this podcast. Hop over to judaismunbound.com classes. Check out all of those classes. Sign up for one or a few and then just come right back and hit play. And assuming you just did that, now we are ready to jump into today's episode. Our guests today are the founders, content creators, producers of Modern Ritual, which describes itself as a vibrant resource for relevant day-to-day Jewish living. For over six years, Rena Singer and Samantha Frank have been a consistent presence on Jewish Instagram, and in a world in which many rabbis want to be connecting to people through social media, they've been modeling what it looks like when they actually do, when they do it right. If you're not familiar with Modern Ritual, check it out on Instagram. Like many Instagram things, like many social media accounts, it's a little bit hard to describe with full accuracy. It's a mixture of photographs, videos, text, ideas experiences, modeling of experiences, so much that can help you think about what a Jewish life 
actually looks like. Just a few words of introduction for our guests. They created Modern Ritual when they were both students together at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, otherwise known as HUC, which is the rabbinical school of the reform movement. And today, six years later, our first guest, Rena Singer, is a rabbi at Temple Sholem of Chicago. And our second guest, Samantha Frank, is rabbi in residence at JCP, the Jewish Community Project, which is a pluralistic Jewish community in Tribeca, Manhattan. Samantha Frank is also a rabbinic fellow at Temple Micah in Washington, D.C., and a rabbi at Sanctuary in Westchester. But of course, Rena and Sam also represent a new kind of rabbi who is a rabbi online, a rabbi to the world. So, Rena Singer, Samantha Frank, welcome to Judaism Unbound. It's so great to have you. Hello. We are so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Actually, I was thinking about this before we started recording. And uh, Rena, the first time we met, I think, was at the Limud event in the UK, which was basically the last thing that any of us did before COVID started. Yes, I met both of you there, and I I feel like I had earth-shattering conversations with both of you. I do have to say, like, it's relevant because the truth is that I'm not really on Instagram. My daughter is nothing other than on Instagram, but I only go to Instagram when I remember to and, and often when I want to check out what you all are up to. And I know that's not the typical way that people use Instagram. So it's one of these things where every time we talk, I feel like, oh my gosh, what you are doing is super important and awesome. And it's not a daily part of my life because I'm not your audience and I'm not on Instagram. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about just the origin of Modern Ritual and what was the process where one day Modern Ritual didn't exist and the next day it did. So how did that all come to be? A long, long time ago at this point, maybe like six years ago, When Instagram felt like it was really, it felt pretty new at the time, Um, I was teaching Hebrew school as a rabbinical student in Westchester, and there was a group of sixth grade girls who were sitting around talking about how obsessed they were with Instagram. And as a Hebrew school teacher, I was struggling to, you know, get them to feel particularly excited about the content of the class. And I said, you know, if there was a Jewish Instagram, would you follow it? And they were like, maybe. Um, And um, Sam and I had already been on Instagram just for fun for ourselves. And we were looking and the only thing that existed at that time was hot Israelis eating hummus and um, Jewish dogs. And there was like no Jewish content. Um, And Sam was like the coolest person I knew in rabbinical school. So I went to Which just by the way, like cool in rabbinical school doesn't translate (laughs) to cool in the world, just to know that. So I went to Sam and I said, you know, you're on Instagram, I'm on Instagram. I think what we really understood at the time was that people were using Instagram as a way to figure out how they wanted to live their lives. I remember following home decorators and yogis and people who were doing van life and they were showing you, this is what my house looks like. This is how I exercise. This is what my life looks like. And particularly as someone who was working in a Hebrew school where none of the Judaism was happening in real time, I felt like, how can we teach people to live Jewishly? In when, If you're at a synagogue, you know, you can't go into each person's home and put candles on their table and Jewish art on their walls and a mezuzah on their door. We thought, like, how, how do you reach people in a totally different way? And social media seemed, and I think is, a completely unique teaching tool that allows people to passively consume Jewish ideas in their day-to-day life. To that point, I think a post that we've only really done once, which we should totally redo now that it's been a few years, but I think one of the best Instagram posts we did was that there's a Jewish prayer for after you go to the bathroom, because kind of everyone knows these days that most people bring their phones to the bathroom. Um, So like, what a great way to be to help people understand that there's actually Judaism for everything from the most intimate and surprising. And also that Judaism can be fun or funny. A lot of people who are experiencing Judaism, like just in a synagogue, especially if they're going mostly on the high holy days, you're getting like a really particularly intense version of 
what Jewish life and Jewish values means. So for those of us who are on Instagram and for those of us who aren't, can you describe a little bit back then and also, I guess, more importantly today, what are the genres of material that you put on? I mean, Rena, you were talking about creating images of a Jewish lifestyle that people could, I guess you said passively consume. When you were talking, I was imagining that it was sort of modeling what you could do in your own home. So that's one genre. I've noticed a lot of different genres on modern ritual, and I'm wondering how you think about what version to use in different times, a photo, a video, just text, and other ways that people smarter than me about Instagram know how to talk about what the options are. You know, Instagram is a technology that relies on an algorithm that they're like always changing. So what is the best way for us to communicate with the most people? It's sort of like we're playing a game that the algorithm or the Instagram is setting. But I think the other thing that really comes up for us is what's important for us, what are our values and what's going to be the best way to communicate that. Um, And so sometimes it might be a static post that people can swipe through. That's a blessing for a particular moment in time. And it's really important that people just see the words so they can hear it in their own voice. And there are some times where you actually might need an actual model And so then a a video might be better. So I think it's a mix of what's the message we're trying to send and what are the best ways within the confines of this technology that we can share it. Part of what's so powerful about Instagram and TikTok and other visual forms of social media is using the power of a visual to tell a story, the power of a picture to tell a story. So what we say all the time when we're talking about modern ritual is that if you Google the word rabbi, you put rabbi into Google images, you're going to find 1 million pictures of traditionally dressed Orthodox men. So where are the pictures of people living Jewishly that represent the people we are specifically seeking out? We're specifically seeking out people who either feel alienated from the Jewish world, people who are not as maybe grew up Jewish, but not with a lot of content, people who are interested in trying it out for the first time. That's our target audience. And so we want to create visuals and images that look like the world we're trying to build. A fun fact is that your Instagram handle does not have Jewish in it or Judaism. And that interests me because modern ritual, like that could apply to a lot of things. And I'm saying this not because I think you made some bad choice, but because I think it's a really interesting choice and could open up a lot of conversations about what works and doesn't on Instagram do like if you were to do it now, would you still have a name without Jewish in the title? You do have Jewish like in your description. It's not like you're hiding it. But like what went into that choice of of going with modern ritual? And I get that in asking, I'm kind of asking about what isn't in the name. I'm also curious about those two words like you chose ritual, which that could be felt by people as like a specific subsection of all things Jewish and not necessarily all things Jewish and modern, you know, there's a lot of layers. So talk to me about the name y'all chose. Well, I just, I think it's important to note that we are modern underscore ritual and modern ritual with no underscore. You're underscoring that. Well, we're, yes, we're underscoring the truth, but also because modern ritual with no underscore is a piercing and tattoo parlor in Denver. Um, and have y'all, only, been, have y'all become friends? We should. Modern ritual retreat in Denver where we get matching tattoos. <laughs> and it's only, you know, been recently that I think now when you type in modern ritual, I think we come up first because we've been really building that for a, for a while. But it just goes to the point of like, yes, there really is is not a Jewishly specific name. Like it's also a name that you could use for a tattoo parlor. You know, when we started this, we had no sense that it was going to be, I'm using quotation marks, like big in any sense of the term. You know, and it's, I would say it's big for the Jewish online world, not big for the general online world. And so we were really just looking for a name that sounded, that felt fresh and relevant. Um, we really wanted something that I think we thought about people who we know who maybe are interested and curious about Judaism, the kind of person you grew up with who is like, oh, I've always been looking to get connected, but I don't really know where to start and who isn't about to like go to a synagogue on a Friday night. What is the name that would fit into that person's life? And that's what we came up with. I'm just thinking about the friends I have who 
are like, yeah, I lit candles for Hanukkah this year one night. And I'm like, wait, Hanukkah's eight nights. But for them, that was like a really, that was incredible. When my gut response is, wait, it's eight nights, you're missing seven more nights. That's like a huge miss on what that person is saying to me, on how that person is connecting to Judaism. And so I remember thinking a lot about how Hebrew words or Jewish words can be really alienating if you don't know them, number one. And number two, if you do know them, you definitely don't know how to spell them. Like there's people are like, what's the right <laughs> in way? In English, to, you mean? Yeah. In English, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like what's the right way to spell Hanukkah? There's eight right ways. To, there's no wrong way to spell Hanukkah. There's just the way that like you want. A fun fact is you can buy a t-shirt on the Judaism Unbound website that says there's no right way to spell Hanukkah with a lot of parentheses letters Perfect. in the spelling. I will be buying that. I want to buy that shirt for every person at the synagogue that I work at because they have picked one spelling and insist on that spelling. Mm. And, you know, it's not my personal spelling. So it drives me crazy. What's your personal? I'm a real H-A-N-U-K, either one or two Ks. I don't mind, but I'm just the CH, I don't know about. I don't great. know about so, the CH. So what's yeah. great about this is you just angered and infuriated half of our listeners Including and you me. became the best friend of the other half. And actually, that's not true. There's, there's more than two sides of this. But um, I will say it leads to a question I do have that's like less of a joke, which is, Sam, what you were sort of getting at is it's it's not just a trivial thing. They're like, oh, people don't know how to spell a Hebrew term in English. Like, the way that those algorithms work, the way that Google works, the way like sometimes like with Hanukkah, for example, that's a well-known word. And Google often but not always knows that CH Hanukkah and H Hanukkah are referring to the same thing. With less used Hebrew word that are often the names of organizations, Google doesn't know that if you leave off an H at the end versus have an H at the end or whatever it might be, it, they literally don't know it's the same thing. So if you search for that term, but you spell it a different way. You just don't get those results. And in a world where people's engagement with Judaism hinges on what shows up in a search engine, that's a problem. And so we've talked in the past about how Hebrew terms can be alienating. It's not just that somebody might like feel uncomfortable about them. It's that because we live in a world where English is what we format our internet with, when you go with Hebrew, it sort of forces a situation where actually a lot of stuff won't show up. So I just I wanted to give a little more context to that, but put it back to you. Like, was that specifically part of the consideration you're referring to? It's also that um, it's not just that I don't think it's actually enough to say that the Hebrew can be alienating um, because I know a lot of people who have at some point because they're adults, they have learned some amount of shame about what they don't know. And then when that thing that they don't know about is religion, it makes it just really hard to find the starting point. We just, we also didn't, we needed something that was going to resonate with the people that we wanted it to resonate with. We needed a, we we were going to, we were clear, like the, the image that we have is a big Jewish star. We did not want it to be blue and white. Like we are so sick of everything Jewish being blue And white, which like, I love the color blue. There's nothing wrong with the color blue. It's just about inviting people and showing people that Judaism is contemporary with the rest of their life. The place where I have the most amount of using Jewish vocabulary is when I'm talking to my friends who are rabbis or when I'm talking to my spouse who is very Jewish. It's not talking to my immediate family. It's not talking to my friends. And so it wasn't even a thought process. Should we do something Jewish? Should we not? What's something that we both like? And what's something that's available on Instagram? We talked about this idea for like two two days. And then we're like, great, we're doing it. Boom. We just needed, we need to do it. But I think it comes from a place of believing that the Jewish world has a major, major PR problem that has existed our whole life um, and that exists on a few different levels. And the first level, before we even get to like, do Jewish educators, do Jewish institutions know how to use Google Analytics and search engines and, you know, whatever, SEO and all of that, even before that, 
I think there's an issue that once you are in the Jewish world and once you learn a lot and you feel comfortable and you know a lot about Judaism, or if you were raised that way, it is so hard to remember and understand the experience of somebody who is coming in and is really uncomfortable um, and how deeply that uh, discomfort and imposter syndrome goes and how overwhelming it is. And, and I think that all of the time in Jewish spaces, we create experiences that we think are going to be so welcoming for people. And especially like, you know, I work at a reform synagogue. Like we think of ourselves as the most welcoming space and we are in certain ways, but when people come into our services, so much of our service is still in Hebrew. Like they do not know what is going on. A question that we've had from the very beginning is how do you genuinely create a bridge for people who are starting from scratch or starting from very little or coming in with baggage? What? How do you do that in language? How do you do that in image? How do you do that in every single thing that you project? By the way, the origin story of the name Judaism Unbound was not dissimilar from what you're describing with the origin story of modern ritual. Like we sat around, brainstormed a few names and one of them took off. Yeah. And then you you tack on meanings over the years. Yeah. Like I, I think it's so often people get slowed down in all sorts of stages of doing a new thing. And they think that it's got to be like months of focus groups and task forces to decide things like names and and like... Sometimes, especially in the digital world, I think you're modeling, like, even if you didn't do this on purpose, you're modeling, okay, we're, we're going to do a thing. If the name's bad, we could do a new name. Like, if, yes. if the name's good, then it's there. Great. I just remember, like, in the early days, like, the first year of Modern Ritual was getting, like, some traction. Some people were excited about it. I was afraid to tell people about it. Because I was like, well, we're still figuring it out. We don't know what it is. And we also don't know if it's going to keep going. Like, I really, for a long time, thought like, this might just be a project that we do for a couple of years. And then we're going to live, laugh, love. And really wanting to offer something that's ongoing, but also that we know what it is. We're just, people kept saying, oh, we love it. And I'd be like, which part? I tried to do something new recently. Like, I was like, I want to start a different project based on like food education and diving way more deeply into like the meaning behind Jewish food. And I have gotten so tripped up in my own insecurities because Modern Ritual has been successful. Like when we started Modern Ritual, there was, I felt zero stakes whatsoever. And I felt zero expectation for likes or say, you know, or anything like that. And I did not care what people thought about it. And then when I tried starting this new thing, it's gotten stuck over and over again because I am so in my head about it. So I just want to name that. Yeah. I mean, as I've been reflecting on this and thinking about sometimes you think and you think and you plan and sometimes you just do something. Most of our big successes have also been when we kind of had an idea, but it very quickly moved from idea to implementation. The podcast was to some extent that the Anyashiva was a lot that and, you know, yeah, there's some thinking and some planning that goes in and, and there's a lifetime of thinking and planning that is under the surface, but it kind of manifests in this very quick, let me try it out. Let me see how it goes. I'm curious as you think and as you reflect about modern ritual for various reasons, one is that one goes to rabbinical school. Another is that one just kind of immerses oneself in Judaism over a long period of time. And you start to forget who you were before you did those things. And you start to feel comfortable with language like spirituality or God or faith or all these kind of things that the earlier you maybe didn't feel comfortable with. But you go all through all this experience and you, you find a way to say, yeah, actually, I found a translation that works for me. If you forget who you were before, then you start comfortably using that language all the time because now you have a translation in your head. It doesn't mean what it used to mean to you. So what's the big problem? But you don't realize that everybody else is hearing it the way that you would have heard it before. And just to that. clarify what you mean by translation, you're getting at like, if, if there's like a story that you have found a way to find meaningful that initially you thought was like upsetting or... Yeah. Or like for me, I, I may have talked about this in the past on Judaism Unbound, but there was a meeting that I was at once and we were kind of doing a check-in and one person said that they were always thinking about God, that they were obsessed with God or something like that. And I felt so alienated in that moment because I was 
sitting there thinking to myself, like, I don't think about God very much. And then later in the conversation, this person explained what they meant by God. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's the thing that I think about all the time. But if we hadn't had that ability to go deeper into what we were talking about, I would have walked away from that conversation saying this person and I have nothing in common. And it's turned out that actually that person is one of my closest collaborators now. And that wouldn't have happened except for the fact that we were in a long meeting together. And it just sort of makes me wonder, especially when we're talking about social media, where you really only have, you don't have long meetings. You, you really only have short interactions. Like, how do you go through the process of remembering who you were a long time ago and, and making sure that the message that you have, which is the message from the you of today, is able to be, and, and it includes the wisdom that you have today. I mean, you don't want to go back to that previous you, but how do you take the you that you are today and create a message for the you that you may have been a decade ago? One answer is that I have found it really valuable to teach a lot of intro to Judaism because people are constantly then asking me, what the heck do I mean? And then I have to keep going back and reminding myself that I'm taking shortcuts that I didn't realize are shortcuts. But I actually think that this happened with us um, the other day. We were making a video um, and one of us sent the video to the other. And then there was like a moment of like, well, these are really good, but you're using this term and I don't know, like, what are you talking? I don't know. I don't see how it fits. When you first started asking this question, the kind of the key thing to me that was standing out in my brain is that everything good in my life I do in partnership, whether that's my marriage or whether that's friendships, but especially modern ritual. And I think it, it's so incredible. Like if this was a project that only I did, it just, it wouldn't happen. And then the other thing I'll just say is that people will write to us and be like, what are you talking about? And then we're like, oh, okay, we didn't, we didn't explain what we meant to explain, or we didn't, you know, we can say it differently and edit, or in the future, we can do it differently. I just had a conversation with a woman. I think she's in her thirties. You know, this is part of my, I think we've never set out with what we do online to replace in-person interaction. We want them to always be in conversation with each other. And we're using modern ritual as a way to like lower the barriers for people so that they're more comfortable to like come to things in person. But I I just had this conversation with a woman in her 30s and she's, you know, looking for a career pivot and she is really spiritual. And she's like, you know, I want to know what it would be like to think about being a rabbi or like a Jewish spiritual leader. And I was trying to, I was like, okay, well, here are all the programs that exist. And she was kind of looking at me like I was crazy. And then I was like, oh, wait, do you, like, do you know what reform versus conservative Judaism is? Like, do you know what a yeshiva is? Like, what, how do I break down even the beginning for, to help you navigate the Jewish world? Interactions like that happen all the time. And so then I, when I think like, okay, actually probably a lot of people don't know how to da- navigate the Jewish world. Like they don't know what to Google if they want to fi- figure out how to find more. And I did recommend the Anyashiva. Hey, we love to hear it. I think another thing that I think about a lot is that Judaism and modern ritual are not just for Jews. They're for anyone who's interested in Judaism, and they're especially for anyone who loves Jews. You could be thinking about marrying someone Jewish, never want to be Jewish yourself, but Modern Ritual might be an incredible resource for you to just have a sense about what Judaism is. I'll also say that half of my family is not Jewish, and so by necessity of these are some of my favorite people in the world. (laughs) I'm constantly thinking about them. So I really want to continue sitting with this balance between we just started this thing and then we figured out what it was afterwards. And I know this because, Rena, you and I have spoken a little bit, not in depth, but a little bit about like your process for what happens between idea and Instagram post existing, that it is not the case that the two of you just like, oh, we're going to post now and like post. There's a lot of thought and care that goes in. So I I want it to be clear to our listeners, it's not that your whole ethos is just like, we flail our arms in a direction and occasionally it hits the screen and Instagram posts come out. Like, talk to us about 
what's the the timeline what's the process from like initial stage of maybe we should have a post about x maybe it's even before that where you decide what the x is like what what the content is from there to actually creating something that the world sees we have a few meetings per week and usually the first let's say the meeting is an hour the first like 35 to 40 minutes of the meeting is Sam and I talking and gossiping about our lives. No, no, no. (laughs) I reject this. We are not gossiping about our lives. We are exchanging vital information. Sometimes (laughs) it's personal. And sometimes it's, I'm facing this issue. Occasionally there is gossip. (laughs) Yes. And then usually in the last 20 minutes of the meeting, we're like, okay, let's talk about modern ritual. And then we're like, what are, what should our posts be like for the next two weeks? And either, you know, there's something, there's a holiday coming up, there's something going on in the world. We'll say like, oh, somebody came up to me recently and asked this question. Um, and then we we'll sometimes kind of workshop it. We split it up between the two of us. It's also really changed as the technology has changed. Everything used to be pictures and writing, and the success of Modern Ritual was some, in some ways uh, dependent on both the look of the pictures and the quality of the writing. Then everything changed to videos, and suddenly we felt a lot of pressure to create videos, and there was this big learning curve. How do we do that? You know, How do we have the right equipment, the right lighting, the time to edit? Honestly, that felt really exhausting um, and time-consuming, and now Instagram has switched back, where static posts and videos can do well. And I think that has been much better for our content production and mental health. So one thing I really want to name on this front of like you you put a lot of thought in, you have meetings, you vision this. It's it's like it takes real work to have this be the at least Jewish level viral Instagram account that it is. Is I remember speaking with you about how you're often I mean, you, you tie many of your posts to Jewish holidays or to Shabbat or to different like time anchored moments. And obviously, if you want to be really thoughtful about that, it can't be like, oh, look at the look at the time. It's uh, Rosh Hashanah tomorrow. I'm like, let's have really beautifully written, well photoed Instagram posts. And what you told me is that you actually plan a lot of these posts way in advance and even like take the photos in advance, which like somebody could argue like, that's fake. You're, you're not even in the holiday and you're posing for the holiday. But I think that it's actually a real teaching for us. And I've, as somebody who works in Jewish life myself, I've, I tend to feel like whatever time of year it is, it's actually three weeks ahead of that. Like when it's Rosh Hashanah, I feel like it's Sukkot because I'm planning whatever Sukkot things are going to happen a few weeks after Rosh Hashanah. That's where those holidays yes. fall. And It's very disorienting, but like, can you talk to us about that process? Because again, that points to strategic choices you're making and prep you're putting in. Like, how do you go about that? And what, like, what does it even mean to like do a holiday anchored post? Are you finding foods? Are you, are you making those foods together? Are you just like finding things that look enough? Like, are you staging like it's a a play or are you like doing the activity? We learned this huge lesson in our first or second year. We took these Hanukkah pictures six weeks in advance, and then we realized that we put the candles in wrong. And this is like one of the things that like people get really serious about. And that for us as reform rabbis, we know that there's this huge idea that reform Jews are not educated. And so it's like very important to us when we're talking about Jewish content that we actually really deeply know what we're talking about. And we put the photos away and we didn't use them. And then the next year we were like, oh snap, it's about to be Hanukkah. Oh, okay. We've got these photos from last year. And then we posted (laughs) them and then everyone was like, "Um, hello, what are you doing? And we were like, oh my God. And that was a, a huge learning for us. Actually, I think it was this huge, incredible opportunity because then we got to talk about what happened, what it feels like when you get something Jewish wrong. And the experience that so many people have of being embarrassed that you did something quote unquote wrong. And I'll just also say, Ellie Confer from um, Hadar once told me this beautiful lesson, which is that whenever he's leading Kiddush, the blessing for wine that you would do 
on Shabbat that he always has the words in front of him. And he said, he told me, you should always have the words in front of you because you just never know. Oh, I thought it was for a different reason. I thought it was that you're sending the message to the people there that even the person who's done this a lot of time is using the notes. And that's like an affirming modeling for the people in the room. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I I think he didn't specifically say why. He just was like, always have it. And I just thought that was reassuring for me. So that's one thing I want to say to the point that you make in the question. We are Jewish leaders. It is our job to be a little ahead. It's our job to be out front. It's our job before Rosh Hashanah to think about what Rosh Hashanah is going to look like and feel like and what the message should be. And so I think it it makes a lot of sense to kind of plan in advance, however much it is in advance. And then the final thing that I will say that I think everyone in the world can relate to is that 70% of life is logistics. It's very annoying. I'd like it to be less so that more of my life could be beauty and intention and blah, blah, blah. But that's not a reality. I need to figure out how much time it's going to take me to get to the West Side today so that I can also figure out how much time it's going to take me at the library to print the thing I need to print. And I can't lead Shabbat services if I don't have the thing printed. And I actually need to have already written it because we're recording this on a Friday afternoon. And yeah, sometimes we have the time that we have to do the photos is in advance because that's just that's just a reality. One of my favorite posts of ours from the last year was Rena decorating, making a video decorating her house for Hanukkah, saying eight-day holidays are great for procrastinators. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what's so great. You've got time. Part of the reason that we do these photo shoots ahead of time and plan ahead of time is because we don't want to be the people who are on our phones at every single Jewish event and moment and constantly capturing. We also want the ability to be present. I think part of social media, and it depends which platform you're using, some of them prefer, you know, aesthetics, planning ahead. Instagram is more of an aesthetically driven platform. Um, so you're you're just going to want certain parts of it that uh, look nicer, maybe TikTok, maybe Twitter are more about like, let's capture what's happening in this moment. We, you know, there are some times when we we feel like, okay, we should be capturing what's happening in our lives in the moment, but that means that we have to pull our phone out and be the person in the room who's taking a million pictures. And I do think that aesthetics are, are a big part of it. We're trying to portray uh, what does it look like for Judaism to, to look nice also. I think that, you know, we grew up, there was a synagogue that I worked at in New York that had no natural light in it. And everything is dark brown and wrought iron. And that's not the current aesthetic of what most people perceive to be beautiful. And so it's like, how do we project a Judaism that looks beautiful so that it feels like it fits into people's lives? So I want to tie a few of the pieces together that we've been talking about. And talk a little bit about something that we don't talk about very much on this show, which is rabbinic education. Although I think that the question I have about rabbinic education applies far beyond rabbinic education, but how we prepare people to be, as you said earlier, Jewish leaders with all of the attendant responsibilities that you were pointing out. Like that means we need to be a few days or weeks ahead, right? That means we do have an obligation to plan this well, to create beautiful aesthetics and all that. And it makes me wonder whether we are educating people properly to be able to do any of this stuff, including the stuff we were talking about, like remembering who I was before, in this case, rabbinical school. But again, it could be other types of experiences that shape Jewish leaders, including, by the way, the yeshiva and things that we might be inventing. And part of my question is, how do we make sure we don't replicate things that shouldn't be replicated. I'm struck by something that is true of the two of you, and and you pointed it out, and also that's been very true of Lex and me doing Judaism Unbound, is that these have been experiences of a partnership that, and by the way, we don't always agree about everything. And nevertheless, there's no way that Judaism Unbound would have been as good as it was if either one of us had tried to do something alone. And I guess that I'm thinking about that as a model for Jewish leadership, that what would a world look like in which Jewish leadership was always done in partnership? What you've described with modern ritual, 
when you were talking about it earlier, it struck me as like I was listening to talk of what I imagine like the writer's room is like at a sitcom or Saturday Night Live or whatever, that there's like something that happens, you know, and yeah, half of it is gossiping and half of it is just talking about your day, but that's where creativity comes from. And we seem to have set up Jewish leadership as something that is done primarily and often in a way that people say the best way, the, the way to get the most honor is to do it yourself. And I really am wondering about an alternative universe. So I'm both asking you to maybe even dream beyond what I've just stated in terms of what a world might look like that was better in terms of how Jewish leadership functioned, and then to reflect a little bit about the education process and how we might get there. Yeah, I feel so strongly that part of the role of being a Jewish leader is modeling and living the life that you are preaching, right? So if we are preaching health and rest and, you know, Shabbat and care, we have to set up systems that allow us to live that way. Creating systems where the whole entire thing is dependent on you and you have to be present all the time for everything is so unsustainable. And I I do wonder, like, what does it mean to create much more sustainable modes of Jewish work? Um, and, And what we do in modern ritual is really, really hard. But yeah, it takes a lot of work, but it it could not be more worth it. I come at this from a very particular angle because both of my parents are rabbis. They're married to each other and they run a congregation together. And they've been doing that for like 30 years. And now I feel like in some ways I've replicated that, but with my best friend instead of my, you know, life partner, um, which it even this is funny to, you know, I'm like, we're best friends and life partners, but we're not married. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, I don't mean to sound that. Which clarifying, just because you said your parents like lead a congregation together. You and Sam don't lead a congregation together, but you sort like you lead a congregation-esque Instagram presence of some some interesting kind together. Exactly. Exactly. We we work on a uh, large project together that is dear to our hearts that we've been doing for years that takes up a large amount of our time. And it's magical and it's difficult at the same time, but, it's, it, but the positives way outweigh the negatives. And part of that is that we really have different strengths and we use the different parts of our personalities to like create something that is so much better than what one of us could create alone. And in doing that, we like deepen our friendship and we take care of each other and we spur each other on to be like braver, better versions of ourselves. I think that we've been able to create something that we never would have created alone because we've been forced to really listen to each other, to really take care of our relationship, to really communicate very strongly, and then to have a best friend there when things are hard. There's so much out there about doing business with your family and friends or doing work with your family and friends, and it can is risky and can be very challenging. We always, always say that our friendship comes first. Um, and I think that having that kind of attitude makes our work better as well. What is connected also, I think, is working together. What makes it sustainable in terms of our time, in terms of finance, but also in terms of growth? Like when you're working on the internet or online, you're working at a different scale of numbers. And so that affects the way we think about what our purpose is and what we do. So if we're trying to serve, you know, between 25 and 50,000 people at a time, what we're offering is very different than what you can offer to 20 or 50 or 100 or 1,000 people. And then we have conversations about how much do we want to grow? And what can we offer people as we grow? And what do we have capacity for? Working in partnership when you're working with your like best friend requires you both to be a different level, I think, of compassionate. We live in a, a society where work really expects you to put your life aside. But I think if we're trying to build a world with more compassion, something that we've really had to explore together. The most obvious examples when COVID happened, it was like, how much would we like to do? How much should we do if we want to grow? And then also, what can we actually do? Modern ritual for me was different when I was just dating the person who I'm now married to. I I used to spend like 10.30 to 11.30 would be modern ritual time, 10.30 p.m. And now... I want to go to bed at 1130. Um, 
so <laughs> so what does that mean in terms of my time with this person who I love and I care about? And what does this mean in terms of this project? I have a question that I that is a little bit of a flashback that is drawn from something from earlier where one of you, and maybe both of you would say this, I forget which one of you said it in this conversation, but you were talking about how it's not about replacing in person. A fun thing about me is that that phrase is something that always lights me off in a in an unhealthy way. And the reason, and it's not because I, I think that it was like a harmful phrase, but I want to like, I want to think it through together. The reason is that I think we have constructed this competitive dynamic in our heads between digital Jewish forms of engagement and offline forms of engagement. I'm going to be a broken record throughout this unit, but I actually never say in person anymore because I think the way we tend to use it is as a way to then pejoratively put down virtual or like words that are synonymous with like fake or step below real. And what I think is so important to name about Modern Ritual and other projects is that you're doing real it, it's not a simulation it's not a it's not a figment of people's imagination that they're engaging jewishly with you they're doing it and with some of our other guests in this unit i'm going to be asking this but what would you say if hypothetically there are people out there and i i think there probably are for whom modern ritual is i'm not going to say it's a replacement but it is a primary way it is they check it regularly and it is in fact a primary site, site is a fun little pun there, um, it is a primary site of their Jewish engagement, and they actually find it meaningful. Maybe they're not totally satisfied with it, maybe they supplement it with other forms of learning and community, but they're looking at their Jewish rhythm in life and they're saying like, I engage with modern rituals super regularly, it connects me to holidays, it connects me to other people that ch- that comment and feel like part of some global set of people that care about a shared thing, and I actually am okay not having like a rhythmic offline community that's Jewish that like I spend a ton of time with. Like, would you push them to say like, this isn't that? Or might that actually be a sign of a new set of ways of engaging Jewishly? I really believe that being Jewish is about showing up. Um, It's about showing up for other people and for ourselves. That could mean going to synagogue. That could mean bringing your non-Jewish friends food when they're sick a lot of different things that that could mean. Not everyone has access to a Jewish community where they are welcomed, where the wholeness of themselves is not just welcomed, but celebrated. There are a lot of real barriers to people participating in Jewish life where you physically show up somewhere. And I think that a part of what we're trying to do on Modern Ritual and a part of what we've done in different ways is We don't want them just to swipe through and keep going. We want people who engage with modern ritual to be changed. Whether it's they had a new thought when they read something, whether it's for Shabbat, they clicked some poll options on the stories, but they had the opportunity to think about what it means to be created in the divine image, Um, whether it inspires them to light Shabbat candles or do something that they find meaningful that maybe, you know, isn't that. So, Ultimately, I think where I land is that modern ritual is a part of creating a thick Jewish identity that's multi-layered and also making space for the fact that people are going to change throughout their lives. Some people might be really happy for their whole life of just connecting with community online. Some people might be really happy their whole lives just reading Jewish books on their own. I don't think one of those is necessarily better or worse than the other. And I think that there is deep, deep, deep beauty in physical Jewish spaces that celebrate the diversity of the Jewish people. We have also experienced that fear pushback of when you create space online for people, is that going to replace in person? Like, are people going to never leave their couch and just scroll or (laughs) sign on to the Anyashiva? And then what will happen? You know, and I totally agree that we want to do everything we can. We know that that's not going to happen. Like, we know that people are going to continue to seek out in-person community. We know that because of the pandemic, we like, we know that in so many ways. And so instead of getting rid of the words online versus in person or virtual versus real or that kind of thing, I want us to have a much deeper understanding about the difference between those two experiences and 
and what exactly they're providing and what like each of them has the capability of doing. These are two totally different things. We need both of them. We need to be able to really engage people creatively and deeply and dynamically in virtual experiences. That's going to provide something that an in-person experience can't. And an in-person experience is going to provide something that an online experience can't. And that's totally fine. There's so much power in teaching and reaching people in different um, places, in their kitchen, in their bedroom, on their toilet, <laughs> like that you can do online using your phone in a way you cannot do in a quote unquote in-person experience. So let's just lean into that and build that instead of, you know, while we also build phenomenal face-to-face gatherings, like we just, we need all of it. Thank you so much, Rena and Sam, for joining us. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for having us. We love Judaism Unbound. We're so excited about the Anyashiva. It was really fun to get to talk to you guys today. We promise we did not plant that, but you heard it from Rena. She, Modern Ritual, they're excited about the Anyashiva. We're also excited about the Anyashiva. And as a reminder, as we close this episode... You can sign up for our next batch of mini courses. There's five of them. JudaismUnbound.com slash classes. If you heard Dan say, pause that episode, go to the website, sign up, and you were like, oh, I know, I know, but I'm not going to quite do it now. You can do it now. Pause it, sign up. These are amazing mini course options. We hope that you will register. JudaismUnbound.com slash classes. Okay, that's the last plug of that particular opportunity in this episode, but we also want to plug you being in touch with us. For this episode, we will also give a shout out to Modern Ritual. You should be in touch with them and follow them on Instagram at at modern underscore ritual. Modern underscore ritual. Don't forget that underscore. You heard what you'll find if you leave out the underscore. But follow them there. Learn more. It's super awesome. And if you want to be in touch with us, there's a bunch of different ways. There's our Instagram, our Twitter, our Facebook All of those are at Judaism Unbound for our handles. You can email us at dan at judaismunbound.com or lex at judaismunbound.com. We are super appreciative when you're able to support us financially with either a monthly recurring donation or just a one-time gift. For either of those routes of support, you can go to judaismunbound.com slash donate. And the last thing we'd say is that, of course, support for this episode of Judaism Unbound comes from the Ashman Family JCC in Palo Alto, California, whose vision is to be the architects of the Jewish future. The Ashman Family JCC empowers you to experience Jewish paths toward a life of joy, purpose, and meaning through innovative Jewish learning and wellness programs, community building, and initiatives to develop the next generation of Jewish leaders. Learn more at www.paloaltojcc.org. And with that, this has been Judaism Unbound.